You're listening to the Food Freedom Podcast, hosted by me, Dylan Murphy, Registered Dietitian Nutritionist. Food Freedom Podcast explores the topics of intuitive eating, mindset, and body respect to help you create a lifestyle of lasting food freedom. We believe it's possible to feel confident in your food choices and connected to your body. And here on the Food Freedom Podcast, we will show you how. I'm the owner of Free Method Nutrition, a nutrition coaching practice helping women make peace with food, heal their relationship with their body, and create sustainable health habits. We welcome all foods over here from kale salads to queso and everything in between. Let's dive in. Hey, Natalie, welcome to Food Freedom Podcast. Hi, thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here. Yes, I'm so excited for this conversation. I feel like I need to be taking notes during this because I feel like I'm going to learn so much too. So yeah, I would love to start just by hearing a little more. I know, I mean, I guess we connected over Instagram. So I really don't even know like how you got into therapy and kind of your background. So I would love to start just hearing a little more about that. What led you to become a therapist? Yeah, so I am a registered psychotherapist in Denver, Colorado. Um, I work with all kinds of people, mostly millennials and Gen Xers, um, which is awesome. Um, I guess a little bit about my background and how I got here. I, you know, I feel like my, my childhood was really, really awesome. I, I really was, I feel very blessed and very privileged about how I grew up and, you know, just my family and, and, and my life. But, um, when my parents split, um, my sophomore year of college, it really, really affected me deeply. And I sought therapy then for the first time and it was really impactful and it really helped me in my life and, and just sort of process feelings that I was dealing with and, and just a lot that was going on, especially during college when that was, you know, such a, such a transitional time. And, you know, I was coming into, coming into my own and so much was going on for me. And so therapy was really helpful for me. And that sort of led me down the path of wanting to become a therapist myself. Um, not to mention, you know, in that whole process of, you know, dealing with my parents' divorce, I was also going through my own body image issues Mm -hmm. and disordered eating. And that obviously also had a really profound effect on me. And I was able to come out of it and, you know, with help and, and find food freedom and peace with my, my own body and my, and food. And it was, it was really, really amazing. And I sort of swung to the other side of the pendulum and became very, very passionate about, you know, intuitive eating and health at every Mm -hmm. size. And that sort of led me to this particular work in therapy. So as a therapist, of course, I work with, you know, people of all kinds of life experiences, but I'm obviously particularly passionate about helping people heal their body image and find the inner peace that they so deserve. Um, in my therapy process, I practice from that health at every size lens. And I believe that all bodies are good bodies, um, deserving of ethical and compassionate care. So that's sort of a little bit about me. And, and I just, I absolutely love this work and, you know, getting to the deep roots of body image issues and just helping people heal. Yes, that's awesome. And so in school, do you, like as a therapist, do y'all learn about intuitive eating and haze in school? Or is that more, again, I'm asking because like as dietitians, we don't learn about that in school. And you would think if anyone, dietitians should. So I'm, I'm curious if therapists do. Yeah, that's always been shocking to me that dietitians 
diets. You know, my favorite Instagram dietitians have never yeah. even, you know, never even had any training in school about it. Yeah. You know, we don't, we barely even touch on eating disorders in, in mm-hmm. graduate school. We learn about it in our, you know, DSM class, mm-hmm. but you know, we don't learn much more about it there. So it was kind of my own, my own journey that led me Gosh. to finding intuitive eating and health at every mm-hmm. size. It was, it was through following dietitians like you, Dylan, yeah. um, oh. and learning about it and seeing myself in so much of your content and being like, mm-hmm. oh, this is me and I have work to do. Yeah. It was actually a, it was actually a really fascinating experience because when I was in that DSM class, which is the diagnosing manual, uh-huh. learning about all, all the all the psychological disorders. And in the class, I read the criteria for binge eating disorder. And I was like, mm-hmm. whoa, this was me. <laughs> yeah. Gosh. And so I had, I had it, you know, undiagnosed for, for several years. And, but then I, and I, I saw myself in that, in that, you know, in that mm-hmm. diagnostic material. It was just fascinating. So to answer your question, you know, no, we don't learn yeah. about it in grad school at all. Um, there's, there's like some major fat phobia in, in mm-hmm. academia and, and oh, yeah. in our field too. It's very problematic. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, I hope that changes one day, but who knows? <laughs> so then knows? with, because you mentioned your parents split when you were in college, right? Yeah. And so how did that end up impacting? I know you kind of alluded to it impacting your own body image and your own relationship with food. Yeah. I would love to hear a little more how you saw that if it, if that started in college or if that started before and maybe got even stronger while you, while you're going through that. Yeah. I would love to hear a little more on that. So like I always had some body image, you know, issues and concerns, you know, from the time I was what, like 11 or 12, Mm -hmm. um, compounded by, you know, my, the family body image stuff, which we're Mm going to get into later. Um, but, but, you know, yes, I think it was exacerbated during college in a time that was very much, it was, it's like, you know, a lot of just appearance heavy Mm -hmm. and, you know, really, you know, superficial time, I feel like in a lot of ways. Um, so I was like very hyper concerned about my body. Um, and I feel like with my parents' divorce, like the way that I connect that with my eating stuff is I didn't have any control during that time. Mm -hmm. And I felt so out of control in my parents' separation and all the feelings that came with that, that I, I turned to shrinking my body and restricting food as a way to cope and control in a lot of ways. Mm -hmm. And to also like feel worthy in ways that were obviously unhelpful and and unhealthy. Um, Mm -hmm. But that's, that's, when I really think about the effect of the divorce on my body image, it was very much looking for a way to control something in my life. And that felt like it was my control until it wasn't right. Yeah. Um, And that was only a bandaid over like a very, very, very deep wound. Mm. And it's interesting because I feel like a lot of people and probably when they're in those experiences may not connect the dots of like, oh, the reason I'm struggling with my body image is because my parents are going through a divorce and I'm trying to like, I'm, I'm sure it takes time. And even like hindsight's twenty twenty. like once you're out of the experience to really connect the dots of like, that makes sense. I was seeking control and what can I control my body and what I eat or what I don't eat. Yeah, exactly. There's, there's like a, there's, there's a comfort in being able to do that because mm-hmm. you're not finding control anywhere else, but you're right. Like, it's hard to see that in the moment that, Oh, that's why, that's why I'm doing that. You know, this yeah. is this is how I'm coping and it's not healthy, yeah. but you can't see that always in the moment. It's, it's, it's more of like, Oh, I'm just trying to be healthy. I'm trying to take care of mm-hmm. myself. Meanwhile, it's, it's really just a mask for other things that are going on in our lives. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I feel like, and I'm, I'm interested if you had this experience, like, I feel like 
oftentimes when we go to body image and food for control, we also likely get affirmation if we're losing weight or if we're eating really air quotes healthy, where then people are like, wow, you're so, you're losing weight. You look so good. Or gosh, I wish I had your willpower. So then it reinforces like, oh, what I'm doing is good. I need to keep doing this. Yeah. And what I'm, right, what I'm doing is good. And, and, and I'm, I'm worthier when I do this thing, Yes, right? yeah. regardless of, of, of its internal effect on me. Right. And, and what yeah. it's doing to my mind. Like it wasn't yeah. like I, I could, I was, when you're so deep in that state, you don't really, you can't really see anything else. Like you just, mm-hmm. you know, you're like, I'm doing it and I'm, it's, it's, this is a good thing. And I'm, it's getting, like you said, getting reinforced all around me. So it's really hard to see that it's, you know, it's not good for you and mm-hmm. it's problematic. Yeah. And so you mentioned the impact, one that the divorce had and just your whole family system. So I would love to touch more on that because I know you said it's what you're kind of an expert in, I would say, is family systems theory. Did I, I said that right? Yeah. Yes. So yes. Family systems theory is basically the focus is placed on the family as a unit, not the not the individual. The theory says that family is an interconnected system. Um, so the function of and behaviors of one family members, you know, impacts all the family members and vice versa. So we don't see the one person, you know, what happens to, you know, the behavior of the one person, you know, in a vacuum, it, it's, everyone is affected, um, you know, not placing the onus just on the individual. And so in family systems therapy, the whole family is involved. And, and so that's kind of where, you know, the family as a whole is focused on. Mm. Do you find that that's because with the whole family being involved, then with that, it's like everyone has to buy in on the whole idea of therapy and the whole process. (laughs) I'm sure that's a hard part. That is, that is hard because not everybody is always willing to to buy into therapy. Um, I was just talking with a friend about this yesterday, you know, ways to get her parents on board with, Mm. with therapy. It's, it's not, it's not easy, but what happens to us doesn't just happen to us. Right. And it's not just an us thing. It's usually rooted in familial things and conflict Mm. and things that are going on behind closed doors, you know, Mm -hmm. and especially, as it relates to like eating and eating disorders and body yeah. stuff, it's really, it's really, you know, family based. It's mm. not, it's not just the one person. It, it usually really, I don't, I don't want to speak in absolutes. It says, you know, so I don't, I won't say always, but it, yeah. it does generally come from a place of, you know, family and in just sort of history and background. Yeah. And just, Oh yeah. And I see that a ton in the work I do. That's like one of the first questions I ask all my new clients is, what was food like in your house growing up and what was your mom or your, whoever your caregiver was, what was their relationship with food like and their relationship with their body like? And I feel like sometimes for people, that's the first time they really connect the dots of, oh, my mom did diet my whole life or my mom did do X, Y, and Z, made comments about her body. So how do you see that impact? Like when someone grows up, I mean, I feel like Every, like none of us are perfect, obviously. So like when you grow up in a family that just has issues, no matter how big or small and how the, like the mom's relationship with her body or the way that she eats, how do you then see that impacting other people in that family system? Yeah. Well, first I wanted to share about this, the genogram, which is something I use with my clients, um, every session. Um, and it gives, it paints a picture. It paints that like familial picture of like, what were these, what were these patterns like 
you know, for these people? What were the relationships like? So it doesn't just say who's in the family. It says, what were the relationships like between these people in the family? And a lot of the time with body image, you know, you'll go back generation and generation before that. And you'll see that there were, there were issues stemming from your great grandmother, right? Mm, and, or, yeah. or, you know, and, and the way that she saw her body and the way that she then treated your grandmother and the way that then your grandmother treated your mother based on, mm. on that. So patterns repeat themselves in family. Yeah. Um, you know, there's, there's trauma that repeats itself and there's patterns, you know, just that, that, that repeat themselves and they determine a lot of the time, like how we come to be. And so mm. I feel like getting that background when I work with clients, especially is so crucial to me understanding where some of this stuff came from. So we like heal mm. it from like our ancestors down to yeah. us. Wow. Um, because there really is a profound impact. Um, when you grow up with a mom or a dad who is constantly dieting, like you mentioned, you know, that puts the idea into your head that that's normal, right? And that's mm. something that you should, that you should be doing. Um, um, also when there's weight comments, right? Like that's, that's a major thing when, when the discourse about around weight is constant in your household, that's going to lend for an environment where, mm-hmm. you know, that's sort of the important thing. That's what yeah. you, that's how you determine your own worth. That's how you see yourself. You see yourself in the context of your weight and you know, your worth and it's, it can be really problematic, but that's what happens mm-hmm. when, you know, the, the parents create that environment where that's a thing, that's the important thing, or that's something that's constantly being talked about and reinforced, especially in the media. Yeah. Um, that can really have a profound impact on, on, on the children. Right. Mm, yeah. And I read something that was, that was talking about how, you know, we can't control what the media says, but how the media mm-hmm. impacts our children. Like, don't, like we can't really, you know, it's, it's hard to keep those, those narratives and those images and, and words like, you know, shield our children from those completely mm-hmm. But parents are have a unique responsibility in that they can they can mediate that. They can yeah. mediate that. They can they can say yes or no to that basically. Like, you know, that's not something that we value or that's not mm-hmm. important. Or they can say, Wow, that that woman is, you know, so thin or wow, you know, and make those comments. So they can yeah. be sort of that the middle between that or whether whether or not that sticks. Mm-hmm. So really interesting. Yeah. And as you're saying that, I'm thinking of I feel like this has probably changed as social media has become such a big thing too. Cause I'm sure like, and I don't know how long this like family systems theory has been around, but knowing now what parents have to almost like be a buffer for of like, okay, these are the type of people you should follow on Instagram or like, this is what your relationship with social media should look like or how old Ooh. should you be when you have social media? Like right. that probably adds a whole another layer. Absolutely. And like, you know, we can only control, you know, that to some degree, but sure. as long as the messages within the home are reinforcing the narrative that you are so much mm-hmm. more than your body, all bodies are good bodies, right? Yeah. Your weight is, does not define you, right? You are so much mm-hmm. more than your weight. And these images that you're seeing in the media are unrealistic and that's mm-hmm. not, you know, in beauty standards are, you know, are a product yeah. of the patriarchy and all the yeah. things that you can say. Yes. Um, I feel like you can make a profound impact on the way that your children, you know, view themselves, view bodies, and also mm-hmm. view others and view other people's yeah. bodies. Because the way that we respond to that, right, indicates mm-hmm. sort of how they're going to respond about, you know, when they see other people in, you know, with body diversity. Yeah, that's a really good point. So it's almost like you're empowering your own children to then when they're in these different life situations or see these different body types, they can respond with like compassion and not judgment. 
or not let it then impact their own internal view on their body or food choices. There's no denying that when you grow up in a family that values appearance and, and, Mm -hmm. you know, smallness and, you know, looks and in certain ways that you're going to grow up internalizing those, those values um, and making it a point to have that be a focus for you and be something that you're striving for. And that, that takes time away from other things that you're, you you know, that you could be striving for. Um, and it just gets reinforced in the home. And so I'm very much a believer in, you know, the way that family can impact, um, you know, children and their relationships with food and their bodies. Not to say that parents are solely responsible for eating issues and eating disorders. That's not, that's not it at all. Um, But I think that there can be a profound effect on the children should there be, you know, positive discourse and, uh, you know, not talking about weight and, and, you know, not demonizing foods and, and how that really impacts. Because when I talk to people, you know, my age these days, just, you know, friends or clients Mm -hmm. or anyone, you know, we often talk about our histories with, with food and body and our parents. And there's there's just always a pattern. It's like, oh yeah, Mm -hmm. my mom, my mom was on Atkins. My mom was on doing slim fast. And you know, my dad always commented about my weight and, and there's always some body image issues attached to those things. Mm. And then I'm sure it's so hard because it sounds like, like you're saying, like a generational thing. And so to see how things are passed down from generation to generation. And then for someone, like if there's someone listening now, who's like my mom, my grandma, kind of the whole list extends. I'm sure it's really hard to then break that and like, okay, I know this is what I've like grown into and this is what my family values, but how can I value something different than what my family values? You know, especially now, Dylan, with with just some really polarizing opinions and politics, body image also, um, Mm -hmm. and, and, you know, just the way that we see other people's bodies, right? And like, Mm -hmm. we're doing all this work to unlearn all of these deeply rooted core beliefs and our mom and grandma you know, are still like, you know, very much for dieting and, and yeah. losing weight. And that, that's really, really hard. So I want to definitely recognize how hard it is to break those patterns mm-hmm. because you also love these people, yeah. you know, you know and, uh. or, or, or you have complicated relationships with them, but you want to respect them, but also you want to honor yourself. So that is so challenging. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so, so I want to like, I really want to recognize, you know, how hard that work is to do when you're, you're the only one on board, right? With, yeah. with that mentality. You're the only one on board and you're the only one who's, who really sees this this way. And, but, but it's, for me, I like to think about it as like, even if we can't change their minds and their perspectives on these things, healing ourselves is a gift to them and to yeah. other generations to come. I love that. Yeah. Thought. Yeah. That's so true. We're, and that I frame that for clients a lot. Cause I feel like even for clients I have who don't have kids yet or people listening who don't, I mean, I don't have my own kids yet, but thinking about like, okay, if slash when I raise like a daughter one day or a son, daughter or son, like I want to be able to pass along these values. And even if it may have been different for, you know, generations before me, now we can change that and kind of start that whole shift, which is so empowering for someone for so sure. empowering. We can have, we can, we can be the one, we can be the yeah. one who changes everything, who breaks these really just, 
harmful and painful patterns that have not Mm -hmm. served anyone um, and just change it for future generations. And we can be Mm -hmm. the one who, who heals Uh, a lot of us. A lot of us in our generation are the first in our families to ever go to therapy. Yeah. Gosh. (laughs) Right. Because I feel like therapy and it might even still kind of be the case. I feel like it's been stigmatized for so long of like, if you go, you don't tell, you're like, yeah, I, I go to therapy, but don't tell anyone. Like, it used to be so hush hush. And now, I mean, I don't, it's probably still kind of that way, but I feel like it's at least trending towards being like as normal as going to the doctor or the dentist because totally. it should be. Totally. I think for our generation, you know, telling each other is, is very mm-hmm. normal. It's something that, we, yeah. you know, I feel has become, you know, a lot more normal rather. Mm-hmm. But I definitely think that generations above us associated with, you know, therapy with having having problems and it was like shameful. And, and meanwhile, it's like, it's like, it's so healthy and everyone knows that, you know, at least I feel like our generation is very much, you know, knows that it's, it's not, it has nothing, there's nothing to be shame, feel shame about. And it's not for us. Mm. Yeah. So then, yeah. Um, so then for people listening who are kind of identifying like, okay, I'm definitely in that like family system in a sense where my mom or my grandma or different people are super engulfed in dieting and maybe people listening are still themselves. Like what are some tips you typically give to clients or to people who are working to navigate a way? I mean, almost like change completely what, like unlearn, like you said, like unlearn what they were taught about bodies and about diets and all of that and really relearn that. Like what are some tips you typically give people? Um, first of all, just boundaries. I say, I say Mm -hmm. this, you know, for, for so many things in in life and in relationships, but especially with this, as you are working so hard to unlearn these deeply rooted core beliefs, making sure that you're, you're saying to people, you know, even the people closest to you in your life, like that doesn't work for me. You know, Mm -hmm. that, that, you know, I've, I've decided to move away from, you know, focusing so much on my weight because it was affecting my mental health. You know, please respect that. I'm, you know, trying to take care of my overall health, which is a lot more than my weight. Like saying there's a way to make these statements and to express, you know, ourselves and honor our needs while also, you know, respecting our, our, our family members, Mm. you know, but, but, but when they, you know, when they talk about, their diet or they talk about weight or they talk about food, you know, there's a way to say, you know what, that, that, you know, dieting doesn't serve me and I'm not doing that anymore. And I'm focusing on intuitive eating. Have you heard of it? Um, (laughs) or, 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 you know, I, I think that, you know, I'm so much more than my weight and it's Mm -hmm. the least interesting thing about me. So, you know, I would appreciate if you refrain from making comments about it. Mm -hmm. And, and I know that's hard for people because, we're talking, you know, about our parents and grandparents, aunts, uncles, people, you know, mm-hmm. um, close to us, but that's making sure that we create those healthy boundaries with people so that we can continue to do the unlearning and the healing that we need to do is going to be crucial. Mm-hmm. Um, in you know, yes. my own journey, I really just went deep into, into the podcast thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I really did like, you know, Christy Harrison's podcast. Yes. Um, oh, it's like, so good. I listen to it every day. I yeah. read things on, on Instagram. I, I followed people like you, Dylan. I followed, mm-hmm. you know, just like-minded people um, so that I could continue to do this l- deep learning and unlearning. And mm-hmm. I did a lot of processing through that. And that was, that was like an accessible way for me to do that without 
you know, before I was ready to talk about it in therapy or, you know, before I was ready mm-hmm. to really confront it, I was doing a lot of this work on my own, but, but, you know, a therapist and a non-diet dietitian working with, working with both, either or both of those is going to, you know, be essential to, to healing. But, you know, if you can't do that, I would say, you know, make the boundaries with your family, respectful mm-hmm. boundaries, realize that we can't change who they are and we can't change their, their mindset. We can ask them to meet us where we are though. And we can mm-hmm. say, this is what I'm willing to talk about. This is what I'm willing to not talk about. And I'm trying to take care of myself because the way that I've gone about it in the past hasn't helped, hasn't been helpful and hasn't, um, hasn't served me. And I've, I've, you know, it's, it's been more unhealthy for me to, to focus on those things. So I'm focusing on, you know, intuitive eating and I'm focusing on, on finding my worth beyond my weight. And you can't really argue with that. And, and because that's when you're doing your thing, like that's your prerogative. And, you know, you hope that people, you hope people will respect you for that. Mm, Yes. That's so good. And then thinking about, and I was thinking as you were talking that this episode will probably air end of September, early October, which will be like getting close to the holiday season. And who knows what the holiday season is going to look like this year. But <laughs> even with that, it's thinking about like you're around a lot of different family and this idea of boundaries. And I have this conversation a lot is thinking through like, okay, so you set these boundaries and, you know, maybe you come up with like more specific, like, I don't want to talk about X, Y, and Z at the dinner table, or like you have these specific, like, these are my boundaries. And if someone keeps breaking those boundaries, like what you do there, because I feel like that's where it can be hard, especially for clients who have like still a good relationship with their family where they're like, okay, I still love my mom, but we do differ just like they may differ on like religion or politics or different things. But like, how do I, like we've set this boundary and she keeps breaking it. So what do I do now? Um, Yeah, that's really hard. But I always encourage people to remember that that's more about, that's about them, right? That's, that's mm -hmm. about their, you know, their stuff and their unwillingness to, to to sort of respect your boundary and Mm -hmm. less about the boundary that you put up. That's not respectable. Right. And so that's, 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 you know, their stuff. And so then Mm -hmm. at that point we get to, we get to decide how we want to respond knowing that they're continuing to to break the boundary. So Mm -hmm. we can't control them, you know, continuously breaking the boundary, but we can control how we respond to that and what, how we want to go forward with the relationship now. Right. Yeah. And that might be like, I'm not going to come to the, to that dinner because mm-hmm. every time I come to that dinner, you know, to those types of dinners, you comment about what I'm eating. And I've asked mm-hmm. you several times to not do that, you know? Yeah. And, and so in, in, in honoring myself, I'm not going to be coming to that dinner. And that's hard. And I hear that. I hear mm-hmm. that that's hard to have to do that. But, but when we, when people don't respect our boundaries, you know, that's, that's, the choice that they're making and that's yeah. putting the relationship at risk. And so mm-hmm. to protect ourselves and our well-being, we have to be able to 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 say, okay, well then our relationship is going to be compromised. Yeah. Cause it's also thinking like I've committed to this journey of walking away from diets and making peace with my body and all of these things that anything that gets in the way of that, I need to like either have boundaries around or remove because that's holding me back from where I want to be, like where I want to be a year from now, five years from now. Like if it's going to slow down my progress, I can't like I've wasted, especially depending on how old someone is when they're navigating this. It's like I've wasted 18, 25, 30 plus years of my life. Like I want to move beyond this. Absolutely. Um, 
And like I said, we can't, it's, we can't change people. So all we can focus on is how we react and respond to them not changing. And, and that's, yeah. and that, you know, that's going to mean taking care of ourselves and that's going to look different for everybody. You know, mm-hmm. you know, we, we, you know, people are going to react to, to, you know, people breaking boundaries in very different ways. But like you said, if it's, yeah. if it's going to, if it's going to be harmful to us and, and harm our healing process, we're going to have to take, you know, to take stronger measures to say, okay, well then you, you don't get to be in my life the way that you would like to be because of the way that you are responding to my boundary. Yeah. You know, and I think, I think boundaries are so hard in general because there's a lot of, there's this idea that it's like selfish that we're, Mm. um, because we're putting them up to protect ourselves. But the truth is, is it's, it's so important and we deserve it and it's self-care mm-hmm. it's not selfish yeah um, it's it's really self-care to say this is what i need and this is how i'm willing to be treated and willing you know mm-hmm. this is what i'm willing to talk about um because not putting the boundary up allows for you know it's kind of a free-for-all and people can say yeah. and do and you know treat us the way that they they want to and say the things they want to and we you know, letting that happen, that builds resentment over time. And that actually Mm -hmm. would make the relationship worse. Yeah, that's so so true. Or then you end up like dreading, like maybe you still go to that dinner with your parents, but you're dreading it. You don't want to go. You're miserable the whole time because you're like, I know what's going to happen versus putting the boundary up. And then maybe the relationship heals over time. And then you kind of go back to like going to the dinners and all the things. Exactly. And, and I, and I try to tell people who are, who are afraid to, to put up boundaries is, you know, they, it's generally, it generally helps relationships, right? Yeah. And when someone responds negatively to their boundary, like I said, that's about them. Mm. But when we, when we put up the boundaries we need and we get to decide how we want to be treated in, in our, in our, our relationships, the relationships get better because mm. we get out of them what we want also to get out of them and and we don't have to hear what we don't want to hear and everybody i feel like there's a there's more of a closeness and then you have a more you know a stronger desire to spend time with these people because like yeah. you want to go to the dinners and you want to hang out with people yes. because you know that you know there's a boundary there and you're protecting yourself mm-hmm. and you're, you're you're honoring yourself yeah that's so true and then and maybe and not that you're doing it fully for other people obviously but maybe it ends up becoming a wake-up call for the mom or the dad or the family member that's being kind of like cut off of like, Oh wow. Maybe I really do need to like assess my own relationship with my body or food or that sort of thing. That's, that's, that's right. That's, that's the goal is that yeah. you say <laughs> in a perfect world, the person would be like, wow, I, I have some work yes. to do too. Yeah. Um, but usually, usually there is work to be done. And so I also try mm. to remind people that when, when people, you know, close to them make comments like that, it's usually the sign of some, un, something unhealed within that person. Mm. Um, yeah, and so, so but, but even still it has an effect on us. So, you know, mm-hmm. even if we can have compassion for what's not healed within them yeah. while also saying, I, you know, I need to protect me. Yeah, for sure. Which, yeah, like you've mentioned is not easy at all, but can be so powerful for someone like really moving forward. Cause it's also, I mean, it's just like looking at all areas of your life and seeing what do I need to let go of so that I can move forward and how like and it's not that it's easy to let go of those things because a lot of times it is like relationships or reducing time spent with people and following people like it's hard things to let go of but 
it makes it worth it, especially when you get to that like end point or get on this like high moments of the journey. Like this is so much better than dieting and being dissatisfied in my body. Oh my gosh. Yes. That, that it's, that it's worth it. You know, it's worth yeah. having to have uncomfortable conversations and, and unfollow people. And, you know, and it's worth, it's really worth it because ultimately you benefit from that. You directly mm-hmm. benefit from that and it contributes to your healing. Yeah. Mm, that's so good. So, and this might be like opening up a can of worms for even longer conversations. So you can answer this in short if it's like, Oh my gosh, she's asking me a very long question, but you mentioned, and this might've been before we even hit record attachment theory and the different like attachment styles and kind of how that connects with this whole family system. So I would love for you to touch on that. Cause I know different people are probably impacted different ways by the way their mom or whatever family member, how their own relationship was. So yeah, I would love to hear about just a little what those attachment styles and what that means. Totally. So basically attachment is defined as, as like a, a deep and enduring emotional bond that connects one person to another across time and space. Um, essentially it's characterized by specific behaviors in children, such as, you know, seeking proximity and closeness to a primary caregiver when, you know, they're upset or they feel threatened, like basic things, you know, when, when, babies, when people are babies, like very, very, very young. Um, and so attachment theory, um, basically says the way we connect as adults to people in life, um, often stems from where we were as babies and how we connected with our primary caregivers as babies and babies who have secure attachment and they go on to be, you know, have healthy attachment as adults. Um, we're provided that like warm, nurturing, very loving, emotional bond with their mother or father, you know, primary caregiver and insecure attachments are people, you know, as adults tended to be babies who had, you know, uncertain and kind of, you know, erratic connection with their primary caregiver. Yeah. So, and that can, that can look, you know, very different. That can look very different for, for people, but basically there's insecure attachment and then there's secure attachment. And it's actually, you know, the research is just starting to come up about this and I, and I find it really, really, really interesting. Um, but people with secure attachment tend to have, you know, more positive body image and, Mm -hmm people with insecure attachment tend to, to struggle with body image more. And I've sort of, you know, kind of gone down my own rabbit hole with this and yeah. hypothesized, hypothesized a bit about what, why I think, you know, that is, um, yeah. and what it could possibly be. And I think that, you know, when we don't feel, a, you know, this, when we don't have that closeness and that attachment and secure bond to our, you know, let's say mother, for example, it's usually mm-hmm. the primary caregiver, you know, we tend to look for that in other ways as we get older. We tend to like want that attachment and seek it closely. Um, and that can, I feel, be very connected with, with body stuff. So when, when if, if, if a child doesn't feel that emotional closeness or didn't have it as a baby or it was kind of like, you know, uncertain and, and inconsistent, you know, maybe their way of getting closer to their parents is mm-hmm. through 
changing their body and through dieting mm. because if they see their mom doing that or you know and they see their mom valuing that then yeah. maybe that's a way for them to get closer and so mm. it's, it's almost like this is quite the topic so we could yeah. get into it for a while <laughs> but i think that I think, but i think it makes sense right that if, yeah. that if you didn't if you have that secure attachment you know to your to your caregiver and then your your caregiver was someone who valued you know weight and mm-hmm. you know and dieting and, and, you know, healthy eating, right. Yeah. Then maybe that's something that you, that you want to pursue because you want more closeness. Mm. Yeah. So then it's like, they're not even really pursuing health or their weight based on like that value of like caring for your body. It's more so like, maybe if I do this, if I lose weight, then people will pay it. Then my mom or my caregiver will see. Me. Yes. Yes. Mm. That's it exactly, Dylan. Like mm-hmm. that's that's rather, that's that's my hypothesis because I think yeah. that that makes perfect sense. I think oh, that yeah. we look for we look for that attachment in 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 various ways as as children and adolescents and adults. We mm-hmm. look for it, um, especially if we're if we're insecurely attached to the caregiver. And so, it's not to say that this is like a universal thing for everybody, but for I just sure. find that 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 you know that body image dissatisfaction and the want mm-hmm. to change our bodies may very well come from this, you know, insecure bond that we have with our parent mm. and this desire to be closer to them, you know, through, the, through changing our bodies. Yeah. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. And so then that's where like the work of therapy and other practices can help to then, cause it's like someone trying to think about it for, even if someone's listening, who's like, Oh my gosh, I haven't even heard of attachment theory, but I think I have an insecure attachment style. It's like being able to identify it and then see like, okay, now let me like move forward from that where whether it's like therapy or like what would be some other things that people, and it may kind of go in line with what you mentioned earlier about family systems and kind of tips for that. But aside from therapy, like what would be some, even like starter like steps in there's some, there's some like amazing books out there. Um, on attachment styles. Yeah. And, and I think that people who don't know their attachment style are not, not totally sure, just having sort of a background on that and, and mm-hmm. reading some books. And there's also some great podcasts too. of just kind of like, well, you know, what is my style and how does mm-hmm. that affect my relationships with other people? Um, and how does that affect, you know, my romantic relationships and my friendships and, yeah. and what, you know, how does that contribute to the narrative, you know, these narratives that I have in my head about myself? Um, mm. so I feel like a great, a good place to start is to sort of just like do some, do some, you know, personal research and read some books about attachment and see if any of that resonates with you and maybe it'll stick, you know, and, 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 you know, you, then you can, you know, go to therapy and process some of that. Yeah. Um, but I feel like it, you know, when we know those things about ourselves, we can then, you know, change the way that we, you know, how we interact with people, or at least have the insight about why we do the certain things that we do and having that yeah. self insight is really important. Yeah. It like creates that level of self-awareness of like, this is why I do what I do. And now how can I unlearn that and kind of change the way I do things, which another is not easy, but no, it's not easy, sure. but it's, but like you said, you know, starting with that self-awareness piece of being like, oh, well that makes sense. Why I'm like that. Why yeah. I, why I do that. Um, yeah. I mean, the theory is just fascinating and yeah. I find it to be just like, it's 
just mind blowing. And I love yeah. to learn more about it. But I just, when I, when I thought about attachment styles and body image and eating disorders, I was like, oh yeah. my God, I, I, I like, I have to learn more and I have to like go, you know, down the rabbit hole of that. So yes. and we already talked about this for so long. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, it's so good. I could like keep talking about it forever. Cause I also like, am thinking of like conversations I've had with clients and I'm like, this makes so much sense. Like, especially with eating disorders or even, I mean, it, it could be something besides eating disorders, but something that basically puts you into the role of being sick. And like, yeah. okay, if I'm sick, people are going to see me. People are going to yes. want to, like my mom is going to want to care for me. But if I'm not sick, then I just kind of fly under the radar. So I need to do something to bring attention to me. Um, exactly. And so that, that to me is like, that screams like a, yeah. Mm, gosh. Fascinating. I know we yes. got to, we, we, there's got to be some more research and we got to learn more. It's just, it's so, it's really yeah. fascinating. <laughs> oh, that's so good. Oh, I could like, yeah, I could ask about this forever, but I feel <laughs> like this is going to be so, so helpful for people who are listening just to kind of help them, even if it's just helping them put a name to something that they've been feeling or struggling with. I feel like there's a lot of power in that too of like, oh, I'm not, if this is like an actual studied idea, then I'm not alone. Like other people must struggle with this too. I feel like that provides so much comfort in a sense or validation. So yeah. much validation. And you know, there's, you are not, no, people are not alone in these, yeah. in these experiences and these feelings. And I think that as, as you, you know, read more about it, you know, as people, you know, they'll find that they're not, you know, that it resonates and that they're not alone. And I think you're yeah. right. I think putting the, you know, just realizing that there, you know, there's a name for this and that it makes sense and it, you know, it validates them in so many ways. I think just in itself is, is really valuable. Yeah. Uh, well, changing subjects slightly, um, just to end one last question that I like to ask everyone is, so I'm a major foodie. I love food, all types of food. And I would love to hear what one of your favorite food memories is, whether it's like a certain meal that you like to cook or a restaurant you love or just a specific food memory that stands out. Oh, I love that. Um, I grew up, so I'm, I'm Jewish and mm -hmm. a big part of my growing up was having bread it's a part of Shabbat. So it, you know, we uh -huh. can, you know, have it on Friday nights and do Shabbat and light candles. And it was just like very, it's just like a you know, Jewish tradition that I just mm -hmm. love so much. And especially, you know, at camp, I went to grow up, grew up going to, you know, Jewish sleepaway camp. Yeah. And it was, it was just a part of our every Friday. And it was something I looked forward to, you know, we would help braid and make the bread. Um, yeah. and it sort of, it was just something that was really, you know, connected me to my culture, but also connected me mm. to friends. And I just like, it's just like the most delicious bread ever. And so actually uh, in quarantine, I've been making challah like at least like, you know, every other week. Uh, and it's, oh, I think I've seen that on your Instagram. Yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I love it's that. really, really comforting for me. And it's giving me this sense of tradition and sense mm -hmm. of home and, and, and growing up. And it's also like, it's been a big emblem of my food freedom. Cause it's something that yeah. I've worked in for years when, when I was, yeah. was in my disorder eating. Mm, so yeah, especially, I mean, something like bread. Yeah. Yep. So it's been really nice to come back to that, especially now yeah. and make it myself and like make it, you know, with my partner and just enjoy it and talk about, you know, Shabbat and it's like, yeah. memories. it's just really nice. Mm, I love that. And I think that helps. I mean, that's a perfect example of how food is more than just food. Like there's memories and culture and so much 
with food. So that's why I love hearing what people, I know, I mean, we all probably have tons of food memories, but I love hearing like, what is one that kind of stands out? So yeah. And so one last thing for people who are listening that want to, I know therapists, so you can only see clients in Colorado, but say there's people listening who are in Colorado or just in general, if people want to find you, I know you also are active on social media. So yeah, just let people know what your Instagram handle is or where people can find you. Yes. Um, so I am, like I said, located in Denver, Colorado, but we can see people virtually now all over Colorado. Um, and I am on Instagram at need to talk, but the need is actually the bread kind of need because I love, I love to bake. And, um, so the need is K N E A D to talk and you can follow me there. And also you can check out, you know, my, my, I work with, with a wonderful other therapist and mm-hmm. our practice is called full bloom counseling. So fullbloomcounseling.com awesome. and email me at Natalie at fullbloomcounseling.com. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Natalie. This was such a great conversation. Thank you, Dylan. Thank you for having yes. me. I love talking to you. We hope you enjoyed this episode of food freedom podcast. If you're curious how you can support our podcast and help it reach more people like you, we would love if you would take a minute to rate and review the show. And be sure to subscribe so that you never miss an episode. We'll see you next episode.